Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Hosea chapter 12 from the World English Bible. Ephraim feeds on wind and chases the east wind. He continually multiplies lies and desolation. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried into Egypt. Yahweh also has a controversy with Judah, and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his deeds, he will repay him. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he contended with God. Indeed, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication to him. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. Even Yahweh, the God of armies, Yahweh is his name of renown. Therefore, turn to your God. Keep kindness and justice and wait continually for your God. A merchant has dishonest scales in his hand. He loves to defraud. Ephraim said, Surely I have become rich. I have found myself wealth. In all my wealth, they won't find in me any iniquity that is sin. But I am Yahweh your God from the land of Egypt. I will yet again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the solemn feast. I have also spoken to the prophets, and I have multiplied visions, and by the ministry of the prophets I have used parables. If Gilead is wicked, surely they are worthless. In Gilgal they sacrifice bulls. Indeed, their altars are like heaps in the furrows of the field. Jacob fled into the country of Aram, and Israel served to get a wife, and for a wife he tended flocks and herds. By a prophet, Yahweh brought Israel up out of Egypt, and by a prophet he was preserved. Ephraim has bitterly provoked anger. Therefore his blood will be left on him, and his Lord will repay his contempt. That is the end of chapter 12. There is a theme in this section of reminding the people of Israel of their humble and unique origins. God takes them back to the history of the man, Jacob, who is the namesake of the nation. But first, in verse 1, he makes the charge against Israel again, beginning with the description of all of their wicked pursuits being like eating wind. You can't survive on wind. It gives no substance. Worse than that, A.R. Fawcett points out that the east wind is notoriously destructive, blowing in from the desert. Then Ephraim, or the northern kingdom of Israel, is multiplying lies and desolation. They are fully engaged in this behavior. Wickedness brings desolation all on its own. I couldn't help but remembering how Tolkien used the word desolation when he talks of the desolation of Smog the Dragon. In that story, the land becomes lifeless and full of terror because Smog's only purpose was to kill and eat for his own pleasure. That seems to fit perfectly here as well. At the end of verse 1, there is another reference to them making alliances with Assyria and Egypt. Recall how we talked about that when discussing Hosea 11.5. 
And this is like what Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 6.14 and also what James mentions in James 4.4. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is not just referring to marriage, which is not even mentioned in the passage where he says this about not being unequally yoked, but it is a contrast to of faith in Christ to idol worship there even. Verse 2 of Hosea 12 brings up Judah. While three of the four of Judah's kings during Hosea's times of prophesying, as he talked about in verse 1 of chapter 1, three of those four kings were following Yahweh. Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, particularly was not. And he, Ahaz, in fact, made a covenant with the Assyrians in 2 Kings 16.7 to fight against Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah of the northern kingdom. Verse 3 of Hosea 12 begins the history lesson of ignoble origin, and you can refer to Genesis chapter 25, starting with verse 22, also Genesis 28, 12, Genesis 32, 24, and 35, 9. That's where you will find all of the original stories about this, the original accounts. So Jacob wasn't even a firstborn. He shouldn't have by earthly standards, he shouldn't have received such blessings. But Yahweh gave him visions, spoke with him, listened to his weeping. And at the very Bethel, where they are now sacrificing idols, God spoke with Jacob. These people have no excuse. It is clear God has done a work and communicated about it all. And in light of this, they should return to God and his kind, just ways. But they haven't. Per verse 7, they love their dishonesty, they revel in it, and they either have deluded themselves into thinking wrong is right, or they think their wickedness won't be called out. They trust in their ill-gotten wealth, having become so absorbed in the things of this world that they don't acknowledge that it is worthless when compared to knowing God. But he is, still, will always be Yahweh, and he was the one who brought them out of Egypt. The statement, I will yet again make you dwell in tents, seems to refer to the Feast of Tabernacles, tabernacle means tents, which is talked about in Leviticus 23.42, and that is a celebration, a celebratory acknowledgement of God's bringing them out of bondage. He didn't just bring them out of bondage. He continually spoke by prophets and gave visions and used illustrative parables to draw them to him. Young's literal translation uses the word similes instead of parables. It's not like the parables that Jesus used to keep the already hardened Israel from understanding until the designated time after his resurrection. He wanted everybody to understand But the word usage here is that it was comparisons and illustrations meant to evoke understanding in the people of Israel. In verse 11, he talks about Gilead and Gilgal. Geographically, Gilead is the whole region east of the Jordan where those two and a half tribes wanted to live but had to promise to go help conquer the rest of the land. Gilgal is where they camped right after crossing to the west of the Jordan, where they renewed their covenant, set up 12 stones, kept the Passover again, and updated circumcision because that had not been followed through with in the wilderness. And you can read about that in Joshua chapters 4 and 5. So these 
two cities also signify their becoming a nation. Sadly, instead of remembering the original 12 stones and what they meant, the people of Israel have heaped up altars for false so-called gods. When he says they are worthless, he is apparently referring to these idols along the lines of what is said in Jeremiah 2.20 and Jeremiah 10.8. The history lesson continues in verse 12, highlighting that one, Jacob was fleeing for his life to a foreign country. Two, he labored as a common hired hand to earn his wife, which ended up as two wives when the deceiver was deceived. And three, it was by the power of Yahweh working through Moses that they became a nation at all. A.R. Fawcett says the word preserved here means kept like someone would keep sheep, dumb animals who need much care and protection. Yet Ephraim, representing all of Israel, has ignored all of this and provoked anger, God's righteous and just anger. The people of that day had hundreds of years of promises, special words from God, miracles, revelations. I went to the Floyd Nolan Jones timeline and added up. So the years from Abraham's covenant to the Exodus is 430 years. From the Exodus to the divided kingdoms is 516 years. And from the time when the kingdoms were divided into north and south to Hosea is about 200 years. So that is about 1,146 years, well over a thousand years of Yahweh giving them all of this information, but they have just shown contempt. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today but not the end of our journey.